My name's Rat, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Hey guys, and welcome back to Transformers Tuesdays, the fan hole spin-off show where we talk about Transformers every time, all the time. Uh, this is Mike. Uh, I'll be your host for this episode, and uh, this uh, this episode we will be talking about an IDW one-shot comic, or actually it was released in two formats, and I'll get into that in a minute, but we're, we're going to be talking about Transformers Punishment uh, tonight, um, and uh, joining me is one of my fellow fan holes. Why don't you say hello? Hello, this is Derek, Derek WC, here to talk about Punishment. Punishment. Yes. Uh, the Transformers Punishment was, and I'm, I'm just going to read it straight from the wiki here, since the wiki's like so like you know helpful and full of information, uh, a five-issue miniseries from IDW uh, Publishing. Uh, this comic was released in 2014. Uh, initially, uh, it seemed like no one knew it had been released because it was re uh, released on uh, the Madefire app, which is uh, a Windows 8 app, and like it, it was just some kind of incentive to get this app. Basically, you got a new like free Transformers comic, and like no one like they had to announce it at like Botcon 2014, and everyone and then they like they actually said like at Botcon like 2014, like you know it's already out there, like you can get it right now, and everyone was like, oh, and like <laughs> of course no one had ever heard of this app before, so. I mean, it, it it was available on that app for a long time, and then finally, like in the like January of the next of 2015, they finally released it as a normal like one shot and stuff. So I kind of had to have like I was like, what? There's a new like in canon story, and like I, I, the only way I can get it is to get Windows 8 and get this stupid app or whatever. And like I kind of like tried to avoid all kinds of spoilers for it until they finally said they were going to release it like in print or at least on like you know in on comiXology or some kind of digital format that I could read so I don't know I, I, thought, that, I thought that was kind of yeah lame but and and uh, speaking of lame yeah like the made fire app is basically for motion comics so uh, like it's kind of cool, like, I, I, Derek had pointed out that, like, someone obviously probably not, you know, officially has it up on YouTube, so we kind of checked it out and, like, saw what it looked like and stuff, and I mean, it's nice to have, like, sort of, like, some kind of atmospheric music while it's, like, you know, you're reading it, and it's got, it's got slight, like, transitionary motion and stuff, and, like, you know, sometimes stuff will slide in and out of frame, and, you know, the, the sound effects when something's on fire, you hear, like, something sizzling and whatnot. Or, like, somebody, but, somebody blasting somebody, something like yeah. that. Yeah. But there's no, like, there's no voice acting, really, and, like, there's no real animation. It's just, you know, it's, it's like, almost like half a motion comic. Yeah, it, so. it really does feel like a half-assed motion comic. 
So, I mean, like, I would have loved it if they actually, like, you know, hired voice actors and stuff. Like, even if it wasn't, obviously, it probably would have been too low budget for it to get, like, Peter Cullen or someone like that. But, you know, it would have been nice to have actual, like, voice actors and yeah, stuff. You know what else I thought is I, I do think, uh, I do think Livio uh, Ramondelli, like, I, I know there's been some criticism of his art style. I don't really mind it. I enjoy it. But I also think it seems to be like Addie Granoff, you know, like where I think it would have really translated well to like an actual motion comic. Yeah, like animation. To, yeah, yeah, as opposed to like a half-assed attempt at a motion comic. Yeah, definitely. Like it, it seems like when things are brighter or like more animated, like they make worse motion comics than like a more like darker and like almost like I want to say, like, realistic, but, you know, like, grittier, like, sort of artwork. I guess, yeah, you, you've just, I, I didn't even mention it, but this is written by John Barber, who is, you know, the the main editor for all the Transformers books, and he also writes, you know, the formerly known as Robots in Disguise book, but then they had to take that subtitle away when they came out with the new cartoon, and now it's just adjectiveless Transformers. And then uh, Livio Ramondelli, as Derek mentioned, who is a, a pretty stalwart artist on all these books. He's he's drawn a lot of stuff. I feel like they use him a lot, it seems like. So I feel like he must have really good, like, output because, you know, he, he drew, like, you know, ch huge chunks of Dark Cybertron. He drew huge chunks of Combiner Wars. You know, he gets... He drew. He has like that trilogy of stories with um, Flint Dill and Chris Meltzen. You know the autocracy, yeah, uh, yeah, primacy, monstrosity trilogy or whatever. So, and you know, love or hate his art. You know, you can't fault an artist who can like put out content, like you know, spit it out like as as on a consistent basis. So yeah, I mean, I, I would say the 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 one of the saving graces of a lot of those series that you just mentioned. Like, I don't know that I necessarily enjoy the writing or the content per se, but the consistency of art is, is appreciated. You know, it's not yeah. like, it's not like you had one certain style and then all of a sudden, I mean, I, I guess the one exception to that is like all those crossovers you mentioned where they kept switching artists, you know, like, I mean, obviously yeah. he, he, he could output what they needed and everything, but I, I sort of find it annoying when it's like a, a long, storyline and they keep changing up the art style for from my perception like there wasn't any particular reason to do that it's not like it was part of the story structure or something like that it was just yeah because because you know these two guys could do the work from this date to this date and then you know to keep everything on time we got another two guys to do this you know book and you know so on and so on but you know i i, I think I think this one shot certainly evokes the autocracy feel, you know, in tone and and yeah. certainly the art style. And, and, and yeah, I was going to say, like, when when John Barber was talking about this like story, he said he was looking to do something like I think there's like a afterward after the main story where he talks about where he wanted to do some kind of darker, very darker toned, And obviously Ramondelli's art like suits that to a T basically. And, you know, like some people were kind of like criticizing this and I know you said it was, it was not very uplifting, but you know, people were kind of criticizing it as being like too dark. And I was kind of like, well, he didn't lie to you. I mean, he said, you know, he pretty much said, this is what I intended to do. So I, I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I think you succeeded then. 
So I, I think I think he succeeded. I think it was also very gray, muddy, depressing, and not what I would traditionally want to read in terms of Transformers. I I think my only concern is if this was just the one off that it was and it didn't seem to influence and impact the ongoing books, I probably wouldn't have had as big a problem with it as I did. But I feel like, and and I think I was talking to Tony about this, because he was asking me if I was keeping up with the regular books, and I wasn't, and I hadn't read them since Dark Cybertron, since we did that Zero episode all those years ago about that crossover and everything. And because you mentioned that you wanted to do this, I think the first time we were going to get together to do this, I think I just read the one shot. And then in the interim, since, you know, schedules didn't match out and, and we sort of put this on the back burner, I ended up at least reading up until the point where this one shot supposedly takes place in terms of continuity. And I just... I don't know. I, I, I don't think I was enthusiastic to continue reading, you know, like I, I felt like all that gray, muddy kind of atmosphere and tone seemed to seep its way into the regular books as well. And, and it, it isn't anything that sort of made me excited for the books. But I, I mean, I know you're a regular reader and you obviously like enjoy reading the the everyday books. So I'm just kind of curious, like, do you disagree with my stance on that? Like, do you, do you see it in uh, like a little less harshly than I do? Or I, I, I both agree and disagree with that. I mean, like, I, I think there is a certain tone of like, I don't know what I want to say, like bleakness, I guess, to like John Barber often writes from a very cynical point of view, I think. And I think he's always written like from that point of view, like since like not R.I.D. began, basically. And, you know, where he the whole like I think he likes that whole like post-war, like uncertain, you know, muddy, gray, like feel basically. And he certainly injected that into like the initial like storyline, you know, with the all the politics and stuff between Bumblebee and Metalhawk and Starscream and whatnot. And this this gets into like the direct consequences of the war, basically. And so I I, I think it was, you know, it was of course it was going to be uglier, basically. So and I, I get I and I also agree with you where. Uh, eventually it gets a little like tiring like you know so much you know darkness and bleakness but i don't know um i can forgive that if it's consistent and he i guess he's been really consistent about it basically where you know the, the like this i feel like this is almost a spiritual successor if not a you know obviously it's not a direct sequel but it's like almost like a spiritual like successor to like uh last stand of the wreckers where i think you know some some things like are sort of echoes of what happened or what was mentioned in that series and particularly because like an ex wrecker is you know one of the main characters basically but i i don't know i guess we'll we'll get deeper into it as we discuss it and i i think um what we'll do is since there's it, it was split up into five chapters, so what I'll do is I'll read, like, a summary for each chapter, and we'll discuss what happens in each chapter. Don't you tear the snow hanging out in Central Park? Can be hazardous! Do your health. The first chapter is titled City of Steel, which is, my G1 fans might uh, notice, is the title of a classic episode 
a shitty-ass ACOM animated episode, but a classic episode nonetheless. And uh, it begins, like, on Cybertron, you know. Uh, I think, like Derek said, uh, I guess I should mention, like, this kind of takes place, I think they say, around Transformers 35. So, uh, mo like, most of the action was taking place on Earth at this point in that book. But Optimus Prime is, like, returned to Cybertron for uh, a certain reason that we'll get into later. But um, on Cybertron, like... A trio of Decepticons, uh, Treadshot, Briscoe, and Wilder, uh, they, they're they kind of meeting up and they, they, they've decided to like pull off a little heist. And uh, they, they've procured a map of Starscream's quarters and Metroplex. And they, they, they figure they can like pull off a little heist and, you know, steal some stuff and get enough money to make, you know, make it off Cybertron and like find a, a better life somewhere else. Before they can, you know, go any further with this plan, a shadowy figure appears and brutally murders all three of them. A little while later, uh, the, the murder site is found. Uh, Starscream barricades uh, Sludge and Slag. And uh, let me just say, I'm just going to call him Slag because I actually don't have a huge problem with calling him Slug. But, like, when I think of the Triceratops Dinobot, I immediately think Slag. So I'm probably just going to keep saying Slag. So... They, they're they all examining the murder scene, and, uh, you know, Slag's pretty much like, oh, yeah, they were Decepticons, so who cares? And uh, Barricade is Barricade is kind of, like, a more reasonable guy, and, like, even though he's a Decepticon, he says, like, everyone, you know, deserves equal consideration, basically, because he's, you know, he's a cop, a law enforcement officer, and he's kind of like, you know, all murders uh, deserve some kind of uh, consideration. Um Starscream is ready to just write the whole thing off, like you know. He says uh, I, I, he has a good line here where where Barricade like points out like you know this is like you know these guys were murdered and like uh, Starscream's kind of like oh really like I thought the Cybertronian Reading Club had a reading accident or something like so you know obviously Starscream doesn't have a whole lot of stock in whatever this is. But he tells Barricade you know you might as well investigate it if it's going to make you happy so. Um, Optimus, like I mentioned, Optimus Prime had been on Earth, but he arrives back on Cybertron here, and he's greeted by, uh, Starscream and Windblade. Uh, you know, he kind of greets them, and he's kind of cold to Starscream, obviously, because he's not happy that Starscream's been elected, you know, leader of Cybertron at this point. Sl uh, Sludge is also, uh, walking with them, and he tells Optimus about the murders, uh, and Optimus, like, you know, it kind of piques Optimus's interest. They kind of, Windblade kind of talks about how the Decepticons have been confined to, like, a ghetto. They they all live of the in the outskirts of Iacon, whereas most people are now living within Iacon or Metroplex, so the, the Decepticons are kind of out there. Um, and Optimus kind of wants to see this for himself. And uh, Slag kind of, like, you know, again, like, writes it off where he's like, you know, they deserve this. They're Decepticons, whatever. Optimus goes and, like, checks out, like, the Decepticon ghetto. And he's complete. eventually, like, you can't be Optimus Prime and walk through a crowd of Decepticons without a bunch of them, like, you know, starting to get agitated. And uh, Sparkstalker, the Firecon, uh, starts, you know, riling everyone up. And everyone eventually piles onto Optimus. And uh, Starscream shows up and, like, drags Optimus out of there. And uh, that's the end of the first chapter. So uh, what, do you, what do you think so far? 
like I mentioned before, I do enjoy uh, Livio Romandelli's art style. I don't really have any huge problems with it. I, I think it's moody. I think it fits the atmosphere that Barber's going for. I do think that this, much like the issues of Autocracy and all those miniseries, is too close to the real world for me. Like, if this is supposed to be an example of escapism, I don't have any sense of escapism. And that's probably by design, like you're saying. And, you know, I I appreciate what you're saying. Like, if that's what Barber is going for, then, you know, kudos, congratulations, and all that kind of stuff. But I think I, I feel hesitant to even make the real world parallels but they're clearly there like slapping you in the face and i to be perfectly honest like like i'm i'm kind of not very invested you know in in that sense where i i don't really want to hear about the after effects of a four million year old war and then somehow compare that to what is essentially modern day politics and you know the socio-economic ramifications of things in say example you know the United States of America because th- th- that's clearly what you're supposed to be thinking about and it's like I you know I I see that stuff every day I walk down the street and see it I don't I don't need to fucking see it personified in robots, you know, like, I mean, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way in terms of Transformers. Like, I love Transformers. I like when they're personified to certain degrees. You know, I I remember enjoying silly fanfic novels where they drink hot cups of oil and all that kind of stuff. But, Hmm. you know, I, you know, Prime is in this kind of, you know second guessing state you know he he's not very definitive and and i think my main problem with with a lot of this kind of stuff is you know it is going to be gray and it's going to stay gray and murky and you know it's interesting because when you deal with stuff like autobots and decepticons or you know superheroes and supervillains or whatever you know it's good versus bad it's 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 you know good versus evil, but instead you know they're they're trying to gray up all this you know kind of the the nomenclature of the genre, and in that sense you're sitting there going, oh what I'm supposed to feel sorry for three Decepticons? I mean it, what's funny is for me it's like you know Slag for all intents and purposes because he's a Triceratops is one of my favorite Dinobots, and I'm not saying like oh okay well. You know, everything that comes out of the mouth of Dinobots is golden because obviously they're portrayed as kind of kind of dim, not really the smartest, sharpest tools in the shed. You know, so I'm not going to say they're geniuses or rocket scientists, but just because somebody has a black and white view of something doesn't mean they're a simpleton or a dummy. And just because you can see layers of things and see both sides of things that doesn't make you a genius or some kind of elite, you know, person that needs to sit up in your high ivory tower and lay judgment on people that see things in a black and white manner. And, and I, I just feel like the whole thing is, is really judgmental up until this point, because the problem is 
it's really easy to sit back and point a finger and offer all these kinds of examples of problems. But at the end of the day, like they don't really seem to offer any decent solutions. All they seem to do is, you know, sort of point a finger at the problems. And like, that's great, I guess, if that's what he's going for. And again, like you're saying, like, that's probably his intent. He just wants to shine a light on the problem. But I, I don't know. I think it's kind of disingenuous to shine a bunch of light on problems, but not suggest, OK, well, this is how the Autobots and Decepticons move forward and actually, you know, solve these issues. But instead, it seems like there's really no solving the issues. You know, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? You're never going to have Optimus Prime walk into a ghetto full of Decepticons who are going to be irate at him for being a war hero on the winning side when they're the losing side. I mean, you know what, what they're going to start throwing flowers at them and stuff like, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like, uh, you know, basically what I was saying is all this stuff is too, too real world and very, to me, it's, 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 I don't even know if this is a word, but it's very, to me, it's agitating. I was going to say I feel very agitatory or it's agitatory, but <laughs> I, I feel very agitated when when I read it, because what uh, I mean, I guess we can get into this when you talk about other chapters and stuff, because I don't want to blow my whole load. But, I, you know, it's not it's not something that really, you know, enticed me. I wasn't I wasn't enthused to read it. And I it didn't it wasn't an escape as much as it was some kind of introspective rape of my current state of mind and and i i'm not i don't mean to use the word lightly but i i feel like it was forcing itself like you know into your consciousness and and just trying to elicit uh and provoke reactions without maybe taking that into consideration the the effect it might have on the reader no, I get it. that. That was very well stated, and uh, I, I can definitely see that viewpoint. I, I, maybe it's my own personal biases, but like I, I was kind of like I, I was kind of with Starscream and Slag on the, these things, where I was kind of like, yeah, you know, these guys were up to no good, so they probably did deserve to die. <laughs> but you know, I, that's probably just my own like cynical bias, like talking, and I, I can see. How like you know it could be uh, it like the the story is trying to say it's more complicated than that, but like I I don't get into that basically like I don't I I don't think it's more complicated than that so I I was gonna say like I guess barricade is meant to be like a, a the the counterpoint where he he's saying like you know it is more complicated than that and everyone deserves like an equal shot and stuff but. The fact of the matter is, like, we, like, at, in retrospect, maybe if I read this without reading the other chapters, like, in retrospect, I feel like those three Decepticons did deserve to die. So, like, after we, like, learn at the end, like, what what they were guilty of, so. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what, what it reminds me of is when they do, like, the whole sanctimonious stuff with, like, Batman. And, like, like, even though I love the graphic novel, like, Devil's Advocate, it's, like, this ridiculous notion that, like, Jim, we can't kill the Joker. And it's, like, well, why not? It's, like, because he didn't do these poison stamps. 
this time. You know, and I'm just kind of like, this time? Like, I mean, clearly he's been responsible for other gruesome murders before, but the one time he's innocent and he manages to get sent up the river, like, without going to the asylum, and they'd actually, like, electrocute his ass, you're gonna, like, fight to stop it because of some, like, moral superiority like i that's kind of how i feel like like maybe in this one instance in this one particular opening sequence the way they were dispatched was quote unquote wrong right but it's kind of like what you're saying what you eventually find out is well no not really in the grand scheme of things karma's a bitch they had it coming you know what i mean so it's like i don't know it's kind of to, to me that's why i say it's like it's like oh i'm gonna make this gray but it's kind of disingenuous because it's not really as gray as you might think it is it's just the fact that you are given characters that are exposed to like a seedy underbelly of reality and they're not adult enough to accept reality like and 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 that's i think something that can be very problematic when people are as idealistic as they are or they they have certain certain goals and agendas and things because you 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 put those on a pedestal and you tend to discount the actuality of real life you know it's like it would be nice if all of the Decepticons and Autobots could get together and everybody would get along and there were enough jobs for all the Decepticons and Iacon and there were, you know, not all these people trying to rip each other's heads off when Optimus Prime lands on the planet and people weren't, you know, murdering each other with incendiary bullets or whatever. But that's not the reality of the situation, you know, like in order to actually like solve problems, you sort of have to acknowledge there is a problem. And that's kind of, I don't know that, that to me, that seems like naive to, to think that there weren't problems. You know, basically like what you're yeah, saying, there, no, there, there, there were, there were consequences that had to be answered for before you got to this specific snippet of, of circumstance. Yeah, yeah, I getcha. I'm glad, I'm glad at least at the very least I feel like this this comic does ring these kinds of discussions out of people. So, yes, but uh in any case, um I'd like to just talk very briefly about like a technical aspect of this issue or or I guess like a, a bookkeeping like aspect almost like I, I enjoy uh John Barber's like uh selection of uh like morts to kill off basically at the beginning or not not even morts but like expendable characters that he probably won't use like tread the tread shot guy is just a repaint of Armada sideswipe who was, like, released in the universe line. And then uh, Briscoe is Fangry's headmaster partner. And then you've got Wilder, who was Fangry in, like, Japan, basically. So, you know, a, a trio of disposable guys to get, like, horribly murdered. So, you know, that's I always enjoy that. So something I kind of wondered, though, in terms of that business is... If they were so disposable, like, how did they last four million years until this moment? <laughs> like, if they were that easily dispatched, you think guys like that would have been taken out pretty quickly in a wartime circumstance. But yet, somehow, I was like, you, you just have to sort of suspend your disbelief and be like, okay, well, they, they managed to survive the last four million years, but today, 
the mysterious shadowy figure got the drop on them, and, you know, that's, I was like, okay. Yeah, no, I get you. Because he had fire bullets. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I guess we'll move on to chapter two then. It's as beautiful in death as it was in life. Well, no need to get all mushy. Cybertron's a better place anyway. Not so perfect. And chapter two is titled Fight or Flee, which is another classic G1 episode. And uh, that episode is famous for as uh, uh, Sandstorm's debut episode. And it, he does appear in the story at, at this point. So I guess that's that's uh, pretty apropos. Everyone's, um, everyone's favorite peace-loving hippie, Sandstorm? <laughs> yes, yep. Nice. And I, I'm sure he'll remain like that in this story, too. Of course, um, of course. Yes. But um, in any case, uh, Starscream drags Optimus away from the mob. Optimus notices a, a Decepticon named Heavy Barrel trying to sneak away with a, a certain package. So uh, he has Starscream drop him, and Optimus lands on the ground and pursues. Um, Heavy Barrel runs away because he figures Optimus is kind of uh, caught on to his criminal activities with his partners, uh, Ransack and Stratotronic. But when he runs into the alley to escape, he finds his, both his partners murdered, much in the same way as the other Decepticons were murdered in the last chapter. So uh, he transforms to like a hover tank mode and like flies off. Optimus runs in the alley and finds the two de dead Decepticons. Um, he sees uh, Heavy Barrel like trying to fly up uh, and get out of here, but uh, Optimus uh, manages to shoot him down, and he cr Heavy Barrel crashes into a building, and uh, Optimus runs and scales the building and jumps in and where Heavy Barrel crashed, and by that time, he's found that Heavy Barrel's been murdered as well, and he, uh, he takes note that, like all the others, he's been shot in the head and the spark, so, you know, double tap. Starscream catches up with Optimus and he says, oh, look, you know, Starscream's kind of nonchalant about the whole thing. Oh, no, it's another dead Decepticon. Oh, well, the riot that, you know, was just kind of happening is like kind of disperses once the Dinobots arrive and uh, everyone kind of uh, mulls around the crime scene. Um, they they kind of sniff out that uh, Heavy Barrel and his partners were kind of... Uh, running some kind of, like, bootlegging operation for, uh, like, you know, NGEX, which is, uh, like, pretty much a, uh, I guess a, the a Transformers uh, equivalent of alcohol, basically, has been mentioned several times in, like, More Than Meets the Eye and other places. But, you know, every Optimus is kind of like, you know, they didn't deserve to die just for, like, alcohol bootlegging. And, uh... Barricade uh, kind of knows knows Heavy Barrel, and he knows that uh, Heavy Barrel was a friend of Gut Cruncher, who was another Decepticon who runs a bar. So uh, Windblade and Optimus decide to check out this lead. They 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 go to the bar. They they find Gut Cruncher, who much like all the other Decepticons, is not like happy to see Optimus in in Decepticon Town or whatever you want to call it, and. Uh, uh, he also they also find Sandstorm, uh, you know, the Autobot Sandstorm, like sitting at the bar, too. Uh, or I should say former Autobot, because it seems like he's uh, he's kind of scratched off his badge, sort of. And uh, Sandstorm's pretty uh, bitter at, you know, what happened at the war. And he's uh, even though Optimus kind of extends, a, you know, hey, old friend to him, like Sandstorm's like, like, fuck off. Like, I don't want to talk to you. 
I think it was mentioned in Last Stand of the Wreckers or some point at some point. It's brought up again here that Sandstorm had been deep behind enemy lines, and that's why he wasn't available during Last Stand of the Wreckers. But that it's brought up here again, and Sandstorm's pretty bitter at his experiences and stuff at what he had witnessed. Optimus tells Gut Cruncher about Heavy Barrel and the others in uh, Ransack and Stratotronics being murdered. And Gut Cruncher is pretty upset at this. And uh, Gut Cruncher says, you know, stay out of this. This is a Decepticon affair. But Optimus is adamant that they're going to investigate this. Gut Cruncher is kind of like, you know, oh, well, what if it turns out, you know, if the killer turns out to be an Autobot? Like, what, are you going to cover it up or whatever? And at this point, Sandstorm kind of speaks up and he he, he kind of like changes his tune and he says, you know, well, Optimus Prime is like an honest guy. Like whatever this this uh, cr- this criminal is, he'll you know, Optimus will suss it out no matter who it is. So uh, Sandstorm decides to leave with Optimus uh, and like help him out Uh and uh, they they go back to the crime scene and uh, they you know they kind of analyze it and Sandstorm finds a bullet casing which he recognizes, uh, but Windblade calls them again and she's circled back to Gut Cruncher's bar and uh, in the meantime since they had left Gut Cruncher's bar exploded so that's the end of chapter two so what are your thoughts Derek? Well obviously Sandstorm is not the wussy hippie he is in the animated series because as you said he he was mentioned in last stand of the wreckers it looks like he's seen a lot of serious shit when he was out there and i i think the one thing i will say is this book and uh, I'm, I'm trying to reach for positive things for you but but um, th- this book is the first time I think I've read Windblade, and she hasn't been like super annoying. Like I think <laughs> I think she really suits the issue and fulfills a purpose as somebody who is considered of vital importance in the new regime, but also has a lot of distance and clarity from both factions. You know that she can. She really does seem like a unbiased observer even though she's part of the investigation you know because she she kind of is the type of person to level blame on all kinds of people it's not like she's hesitant to call prime out just because he's a war hero and at the same token it's not like she doesn't smell the shit that starscream is up to either you know like so it it i i think from that perspective i viewed her as somebody that was probably essential to have in a piece like this, where you have all this gray stuff. And I think it, it, it's almost like that character is sitting there going, you're gray, you're gray, you're gray, you're gray, you're gray. And like pointing that out in case people aren't getting what Barber is, you know, putting down for them yeah. or whatever. I liked the bit where, where Starscream kind of rags on Prime for, like, why didn't you ever, like, you know, over four million years of war and you never got, like, a flying mode or some kind of means of, like, flight? And then Optimus is kind of like, well, I like to stay grounded. And then, like, he shoots Heavy Barrel down and, like, Heavy Barrel crashes into a building and Optimus has to climb it. And he's kind of like, you know, I'm glad Starscream doesn't see this. Like, I'd rather, like, I could have flown up there if I if I flew. I, I don't know why, but like for some reason that pissed me off. Like the the line about I like to stay grounded. 
Like, I, I don't know what it was. It was just kind of like, it, it just seemed to be this attitude. Like, it's weird. Like, like I guess it, it's, to, to me, it's no different than Starscream saying, why don't you have a flight mode? Like, it, it, if you take it at its sort of subtext, you know, somebody who has a flight mode probably views themselves as superior to people who only have ground modes. But... Prime seems to turn it on its head and say, I like to stay grounded because if you get too far up in the clouds, you know, if you get too far up in your ivory tower, you, you miss the little things, right? And, and in some ways, like, I understand the sentiment and, and why that would be considered a good thing. But at the same time, I also feel like just because you're grounded doesn't make you better than the flyers or somebody who, who is like, there could be somebody not Starscream, obviously, but there could be somebody who was, who was in a position of power that means well and, and has genuine concern and is somebody who perhaps has lived in an ivory tower. You know, I don't know, somebody like Bruce Wayne or something like, and, and genuinely means well to the people he's trying to help or something like that even though there is a a separation between him and people who are grounded you know and i i don't know i i i just like that that's the kind of stuff that elicits like a knee-jerk reaction from me where it's like well you're not you know you're you're not any better than any of these other people like you clearly are a a uh you, you're clearly at the forefront of this four million year war so being grounded didn't help you solve that war for four million years, did it? You know, like I mean, I don't mean to be like an asshole, but it's like that's that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like uh, if you're if you're so fucking grounded and you're so fucking great, why why was there a war for fucking four million years? Like why didn't you fucking clean up and kick Megatron's ass a long time ago if you're so fucking grounded? You know, I don't know. It just like that those kind of things like kind of piss me off. So. I just all voice. I get you. I just like the gag. But. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> I, I, under, I understand. I understand. But I. I just sort of read into it a whole bunch. But that's all. No. I get you. I guess uh, I'll go into like you know uh, bookkeeping mode or or like Transformers identification trivia mode. Um, Heavy Barrel is just a mini con that like they just you know kind of repurposed and upsized for this. Uh, Ransack I owned. He was the little, like, rotor force prop plane, like, from gener Generation 2. So I was kind of like, oh, Ransack died? Oh, okay. I, well, at, one point, at one point, I owned Gut Cruncher. Yeah, and Gut Cruncher, yeah, was an action master. Yeah. And, uh, now, uh, I, I think that now belongs to Brian, but I did own <laughs> Gut Cruncher at one point. And uh, Stratotronic is actually the name of Gut Cruncher's, like, jet. Like that, he came with like a playset, like that giant jet, and it was called the Stratotronic Jet. So, yeah, yeah. like they kind of, it's a kind of a little clever gag that Stratotronic is one of Gut Cruncher's friends, basically. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, so I, I have always enjoyed like John Barber's like you know penchant for doing like d digging deep into you know Transformers continuity and pulling out these little details. So yeah, he, he's certainly not shy about that. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, I, I liked the idea of there being, like, like I feel like it was almost like a Sin City-esque thing that, like, they're, you know, the Decepticon ghetto is like a, it's like, like, 
old town or something like it is like decepticon town or whatever okay. like you're okay yeah. e- even if yeah like you know it's kind of like you're not welcome here prime or whatever like i i, I thought it kind of added something because i feel like all the action in the in barber's book so far has taken place like either in iacon or like in the wilderness like because the planet had been like tamed but right, this feels right. like yeah this feels like they're actually expanding beyond iacon now so like you know maybe cybertron is has got some outlying regions now but uh yeah so i guess i think that's all i had to say about this chapter so let's move on to chapter three now 20th century fox presents a science fantasy adventure that will arouse this generation Chapter 3 is titled Quest for Fire, which is not the title of a G1 episode, but is the title of an old movie. It is, um, it is. Yes, With cavemen yes. and, and cool stuff. Yes, so we left off with Gut Cruncher's bar exploding. Uh, Optimus Prime, Sandstorm, and Windblade like, kind of stand outside, and Wind, uh, Sandstorm kind of freaks out because... Uh, since, you know, obviously he mentioned he'd been behind enemy lines for a long time, so, and he, he seemed, him and Gut Cruncher seemed to have at least, like, an understanding, like, so he, he's kind of freaking out that, like, his, you know, basically some of his friends are all dead now. Sandstorm, like, so, sort of, like, accuses Optimus of being, like, the cause of it, and, uh, Optimus points out that, like, you know, no matter what, like, the gut cruncher was in the line of fire now because this whoever this killer is he targeted heavy barrel who was like you know uh doing the bootlegging for gut cruncher's bar so like no matter what like everyone was in the line of fire so it wasn't really you know prime's fault so sandstorm kind of like you know chills at this and uh he he reveals that the shell he found at the crime scene uh is called an infernus bullet uh, and uh, Infernus bullets are shells that they the Decepticons reverse engineered from the Firecons, uh, which basically you know penetrate an enemy and then burn them from within. And uh, these seem to be like the popular, obviously as we mentioned, like the popular murder tool of you know whoever this killer is. Windblade is kind of horrified at this, like you know who would make this sort of thing? And you know Optimus and you know Sandstorm are just kind of like you know it was the war. This is. This is the kind of shit that went down. So Sandstorm also mentions that, you know, as part of the wreckers, like the planet where uh, that these bullets were most heavily used, uh, Varus Centralis, uh, as part of the wreckers, like Sandstorm was like instrumental in making sure that they couldn't manufacture these bullets anymore. But, you know, they now they now everyone's like unsure of where they came from. Starscream, like, shows up on the scene with some, you know, fire and rescue people and uh, to put out the blaze. And uh, once he hears, like, Sandstorm say that, like, the Infernus bullets were reversed engineered from the fire cons, he immediately orders, you know, law enforcement to take the fire cons into custody. Optimus decides, like, this is probably a decent idea, so he, he calls the Dinobots and... Uh, the Dinobots, along with Sandstorm, a Barricade, and some other, like, uh, I think, like, Chromia and Ironhide are there. Uh, you know, they all, they ambush the Firecons and uh, basically pretty brutally, like, you know, take them down. Sandstorm's uh, pretty mad at, you know, Gut Cruncher's bar exploding, so he's about to execute uh, Sparkstalker. But Optimus, uh, you know, stops him from killing, like, a, you know, a, a downed opponent. And, uh, 
you know, Optimus kind of has a, you know, he has to do a Mr. Cap speech to everyone because, you know, the Dinobots obviously don't show restraint at all and, you know, brutalized everyone. And, you know, Optimus is kind of like, you know, blah, 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 you know, you know how he is. But uh, yeah, so that's the end of uh, chapter three. So uh, what do you what do you think? Well, my my initial thought without giving away the the ending is the minute there was no Autobot presence in Gut Cruncher's bar was the minute it exploded. So I kind of could see where the winds were blowing, you know, where where the the suspicion was being pointed at. Like that it, it basically you could see, oh, this is already a gray story. You know, you're supposed to think Autobots are good and Decepticons are bad. So you're you're already imagining, well, I might not know who it is, but the, it's certainly pointing to an Autobot as the person who is the culprit, you know, using these um, incendiary type and everything like that so that was my that was my first thought upon seeing that there you know there was no autobot presence in the bar and that's when the bar got destroyed my other notion was during that fighting sequence like i know like you said you know prime does his mr prime speech and is trying to be all judgmental about how they went about taking out the fire cons and everything and i i think it's in that double page spread where I think it's the the bird fire con. I can't remember his name, but one uh, of them, flame, flame feather, flame feather. I think is the one who says something to the effect of, you know, I can't remember the exact line of dialogue, but he says something to the effect of, yeah, we we you know we weren't really gonna hurt you. We were just shooting at you, you know. And I'm I'm just kind of like, you know, like. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't buy that. Like, I it's like it, it seems like somebody who was caught red handed and like knew that they had done something wrong. And it's kind of like even if they didn't do this specific thing wrong, like they seem like shady customers where you're just kind of like, look, like y- y- you it, it's kind of like saying, oh, yeah, I, I just shot the gun to scare them off. You know, and I'm kind of like it, it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I think stuff like that should either be deliberate or not but you know in in this case it it seems like they're trying to backtrack on people who would normally be considered as agitators in a you know socio-political environment you know whether it's you know decepticons in a ghetto you know like all trying to attack optimus prime just because he walks down the ghetto street you know and it's like one of those things where it's like well look you guys clearly all tried to take your shot at him you know you clearly all tried to to uh you know kill him so when you do it it's okay because you're disenfranchised. But when somebody murders three Decepticons, then all of a sudden the person who does that is a bad, you know, Cybertronian. Like it's kind of like, you know, and, and without getting into obviously specifics, I, I, you know, sort of take issue with that. And I feel like I need to call out, you know, the, the fire con on his bullshit because I think it is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And, you know, and also, like, some of it, sometimes it's hard because Transformers are usually pretty resilient. So, like, what you might consider lethal force is not, like, possibly not so lethal, like, when it comes to, like, certain things. Like, 
I mean, I'm sure the Dinobots, like, really kicked their asses, but they didn't, like, you know, tear off their heads or anything. Like, Slag kind of, like, impales, like, one of the fire cons on his horns and stuff. But, you know, we've obviously seen that Transformers can survive that. So, and later they talk about how, like, Varus Centralis was, like, I think Optimus says, like, it was, like, a literal hellhole because the fire cons were, like, burning stuff, like, so hot that, like, you know, people were, like, burning to death and stuff. So I feel like these three, like, flame-shooting Decepticons, like, don't deserve any kind of restraint or anything, so. Yeah, and and, and in terms of that, I feel like that that line of dialogue he had is just some kind of excuse, you know, that that it's not... I I, I guess I I feel like when they, they try to make the the factions gray and like try to exert or elicit some sympathy from you. Like I, I think I fall into your camp where, you know, as much as people might not like Starscream or they may find problems with slag, like regardless of who you think those people are, one thing you can't take away from them is they're pretty much realists. Like, they pretty much know what's going on, whatever you're going to say about them. So I don't, I, I, I kind of like you, I don't really have any problem with the treatment of the Firecons. You know, like, I, I, I think it's, again, you know, I, I like saying this a lot, but I, I, I find Prime's moral meter disingenuous you know like it's kind of like it's kind of like wait you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make some kind of you're gonna draw some line in the sand you know with with this particular instance where like you know as we get deeper into the story i mean some of the 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 injustices perpetrated on people who were non-cybertronians and cybertronians is just so mind-numbingly awful you kind of wonder, oh, now you're going to fucking, you know, draw a line in the sand after you've done all this shit? Like, it's not like you come back from that, you know? It's not like, you know, that that that's the part of me that feels like they didn't offer any viable solution. It's like, it's like oh, so, so sparing these fire cons in this one instance is going to, like, somehow you know either wipe the slate clean or 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 send them on this first step in a journey towards redemption like i don't i don't buy that i don't believe it you know and if if, yeah. if there's no if there's no solution then what's the point of of uh to some people it would be turning the other cheek or being quote unquote better than your enemy but i don't see any point in being quote unquote better than your enemy if all it does is result in other people getting hurt as a result of you feeling better about yourself. Yeah. I I think another part of it might be like, and I'll offer like a little bit of a counterpoint to that. Like maybe like, like in terms of like the character of barricade is there to like, you know, be a law enforcement office, you know, like representative. And I think part of, part of what, you know, Optimus might be saying is like, we have to, like, this is like the post-war, we have to have some kind of, some kind of, like, system of checks and balances now, so we can't just go willy-nilly executing people and stuff. And, like, you might recall that, like, in Last Stand of the Wreckers, like, that was why Impactor, like, was, you know, arrested and stuff, because he executed, like, Squadron X after they had already been, like, disabled and stuff, so... Maybe like he didn't want a repeat repeat of that, 
And, you know, I also agree with you where, like, the realist in me is kind of like, well, yeah, they, those guys kind of do deserve to die. But, like, but I also, like, recognize, like, they're trying to get some kind of, like, infrastructure up, like, you know, law and order, basically. So, like, I, I think that might be part of it. I, I think I think the cynic in me would say that Barricade would go easier on the Firecons than the Dinobots. I mean, I, I think... And and you can take that either way. I mean, you can take it as a judgment against Barricade, or I'm sure other people would see it as an indictment of the Dinobots. You know what I mean? Like, and it's it's one of those things where, again, they they try to make it this gray area where, oh look, there's a Decepticon law law enforcement agent who who is conceivably like what the Decepticon version of like Prowl or Streetwise or something like that, and then you've got these other you know conceivably officers that are keeping the peace but see the the thing that bugs me is the people they have keeping the peace were former soldiers and they're willing to throw those soldiers to the wolves even when they are living off of the benefits of what they sacrificed for the current state of affairs in iacon and that's something else that for me is a big button pusher because it's like, wait, so so now that they've done what you wanted them to do, you know, like Prime says this, like, oh, we trained them to be, you know, warriors, but we didn't train them to be. I, I forget what the line is, but like, you know, peacekeepers or whatever. I'm going to have to have a talk with Slug later on and all this shit. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? Like, whose fucking fault is that? You know, like, that's not <laughs> their fault. You know, like, I, I don't know, like stuff like that, like, you know, kind of pisses me off again, no, too. Like, so there's I, yeah, there's there's I a lot you. of there's a lot of instances in this where it just, you know, kind of pushes a bunch of buttons. I get you. You know, I, I, I totally understand that. I get I think that's pretty much all I wanted to say about that that chapter. Um, There was like a, a slight uh, bit of trivia here, a slight uh, error in this issue where um. I think, like, they show, like, Hotspot uh, attending to the fire at Gut Cruncher's bar, but Hotspot should be on the Lost Light at this point. So, like, I guess, you know, 300-and-something characters, sometimes you forget stuff. But Or it could just be that, you know, this was written so far in advance that they didn't know that the Protectobots were going to be on the Lost Light at that point. So Yeah, that uh, could be an explanation. Is there yeah. is there anybody who would be, like, a different character that could have been like a repaint of hotspot yeah pe people were saying like it just could be like you know whatever that the japanese like repaint of hotspot or whatever okay. that came out during like operation combination or one of those like later japanese like uh you know series but you know it's not a huge deal and like livio's art is kind of sketchy anyway so you could kind of fudge it and say it wasn't hot uh, hotspot so but yeah, so I, I think that's all I'd say about that chapter. So, like, let's move on to chapter four. We shall test his reaction to betrayal. Betrayal by the one he trusts the most. And uh, chapter four is called The Killing Jar, which is another classic G1 episode. Most people would like that episode, but I found it pretty boring. It's it's that episode with, like, Rekgar... Ultra Magnus, Cyclonus, and like Marissa Fairborn, like yeah, I, I forgot being prisoners of that Quintesson. Like I don't know, I, I always thought that was like a pretty boring episode. But <laughs> I'm 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 partial to season three, so I, I I I see what you're saying as in terms of like as a grand 
whole of, of Transformers. But I, for me, it's like one of those things where as long as I don't have to watch like a season two episode with Dinobot Island or like Power Glide <laughs> with a stupid chick, yeah. like I'm like I'm like that. I'm like give me the Killing Jar any day of the week over there. Yeah, I, I get you, yeah. But uh, but in any case, uh, and uh, let's see what what happens in this chapter. Um, so Optimus just stopped Sandstorm from executing Sparkstalker and Sandstorm immediately is apologetic and, you know, he's kind of traumatized and, you know, he, he's he expresses some regret that the war has really skewed some of his senses of, you know, right and wrong and whatnot. Windblade is kind of, like you said, kind of, you know, throwing blame around, like, you guys, you know, brutalized, you know, the fire cons and, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I think Barricade is the one who says, like, you know, despite all of that, you know, they're still alive, yeah, so, you know, chill out. Tell anyway, that, tell that bitch to chill. <laughs> Be cool, bitch. Be cool, oh. bitch. Okay, now Barricade's going to be <laughs> voiced by Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Be cool, bitch. Be cool. But um, anyway, uh, the next, I guess it's supposed to be like the next morning or something, but the Firecons are in custody, and they're, they're all in their cell, like complaining about their harsh treatment and stuff, and... Uh, Windblade is still kind of, you know, going on and on about how they were treated and blah 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 blah. But uh and Sandstorm's still in pretty bad shape. He, he seems to be uh mentally unstable almost. Optimus uh kind of comes to the conclusion that the Firecons have to be innocent of these murders and of blowing up Gut Cruncher's bar because they wouldn't need the Infernus bullets to do it because they already breathe fire. He seems to come to a conclusion that he knows who the killer actually is, and uh, he walks off. Uh, he goes to some, like, I guess it's some kind of, like, memorial park or some kind of, like, I don't know, central Iacon park or something where the Dinobots are all kind of chilling under a giant statue of Optimus Prime. And uh, Optimus asks Slag if he can talk to him for a sec, and... Uh, he 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 kind of like talks to Slag about the the fire cons and what went down at on Varus Centralis, and uh, eventually the conversation escalates to the point where Optimus accuses Slag of being the one who committed the murders, and uh, he kind of you know says you know he he was totally aware of what Slag had done on Varus Centralis, and he he kind of says that like the Dinobots' hands were no cleaner than the Firecons. Uh, and Slag actually feel like the way Slag talks, he feels kind of betrayed that Prime would like even accuse him of such a thing. So the, the two of them like, you know, start fighting Slag transforms to trike mode and, you know, they ram into each other. Um, the other Dinobots, you know, being loyal to each other as they are all kind of surround Optimus and say, you know, you don't, don't start anything here, like chill out. And, uh, before anything can escalate any further, a Starscream calls in and says there's been another series of murders, which kind of clears, like, the Dinobots. And uh, this time, the murders are a bunch of Autobots who are living in Metroplex. Uh, so they, they go to a, a courtyard in Metroplex, and they find the bodies of uh, Scram, Fireball, Lander, and Diver, uh, a quartet of Autobots. And uh, Slag kind of uh, says, you know, you accusing me only makes sense if, like, you know, these murders were all Decepticons, but these are Autobots. 
and uh, Starscream's kind of in panic mode because he knows that, you know, he, he kind of says, like, no one cares about Decepticons, but if there are, like, dead Autobots on my watch, you know, there's going to be hell to pay. So he, te- he tells Barricade, you know, we're going into the Decepticon ghetto and we're going to, like, you know, toss it, basically, or burn it to the ground or whatever. And uh, Barricade kind of stands up to Starscream and says... Uh, He's not gonna. He's not gonna do that. He's not. He's a not gonna like sell out his own people like the Decepticons, and uh, you know B. It just seems like a pretty extreme response. And uh, Optimus Prime actually compliments Barricade on his like dedication to duty and whatnot. And Barricade's kind of speechless at that. They go to investigating the crime scene and they find there's no witnesses because they said the the attack was used with like sonics and like flares and stuff to blind everyone to what was happening. And they found like the escape route of the killer, which was a large access duct in the ceiling uh, that leads directly to the park that uh, Optimus and the Dinobots were fighting at like just recently. Optimus kind of gets hostile with Slag again. Uh, and uh, kind of like denounces like the Dinobots of being as being like part of the problem and not part of the solution or whatever, with you know their hostility and all. Windblade kind of breaks it up, and Optimus takes her aside and just tells her he he knows who the real killer is, and that's where this chapter ends. So, uh, what do you, what do you think, Derek? I feel fucking betrayed by Optimus <laughs> Prime. I mean, I. This is the part of the story where I I didn't want to bring up this comparison until we got to this part of the story, but I I don't know. I'll just ask, and the answer may very well be no, but have you ever seen a movie called Casualties of War? Uh, No. It's a Brian De Palma film. It's got Michael J. Fox and Sean Penn, and the, the long and short of it is it's set in Vietnam, but what it really is is a rape drama basically where it's like you know they they basically blame sean penn and his unit for raping a vietnamese woman and then michael j fox is like this you know dramatical hero who you know stands up and stops it and this and that and the other thing and you know regardless of of what your take on it is i mean who knows maybe john barber will consider that high praise and a compliment that i'm comparing transformers punishment to a brian De Palma drama, you know, set in the backdrop of the Vietnam War. But I I always just felt like things like that, this is the part of the gray that, like, just makes it a complete turnoff to me. I don't want to, you know, this is not escapism, and it's, to me, it is insulting, you know, that, that he would not only accuse Slag of being the murderer, but on top of that, and and what's funny is, I mean, they they try to play with it a little bit in the next chapter that you know maybe Prime didn't mean these things he said to him, but he kind of does, you know. Like, I mean, uh, when when it all comes down to it, what he says to them is, "You should be taken out and shot too," you know, like you should be removed from our society, and and that's the ultimate indictment, like in terms of you know, something that's a button pusher for me. It's like you, you, you take the benefits of having a soldier fight for you, but then when you decide they cannot be acclimated to a peacetime society, you decide just to discard them and get rid of them like they're fucking trash. And it's like that kind of thinking, like, I, I can't believe they have fucking Optimus Prime be the one 
says that and espouses that. Like, it's so, I don't know, man, that, that, that to me, like, I mean, th this was like the, a major down point of the story for me. I mean, I get that they were trying to like, you know, point to an Autobot as the, the culprit and everything like that. But I just think the way it went down was really, really awful. I mean, I, you know, again, I guess you keep coming to that, but if that's if that's what he's going for to make me think that Optimus Prime's a big hypocritical scumbag, well, congratulations, because I think he's a big hypocritical scumbag now. You know, <laughs> like that's that that's all I have to say about it. I mean, I I mm, like the, 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 the yeah, this part of it just made me feel really really disgusted. I I totally understand that. Um. I, yeah, I, I was kind of uncomfortable with it, and it, like I like you said, it kind of is revealed to be sort of a ploy, like in the next part. But at, at the end, Optimus kind of admits that he kind of does think those things. Like, and, and I know, like part of it is that, and there's a sequel to this story called Redemption with, that focuses on Slag, and it is it is shown what happened on Varus Centralis, and like that is some awful shit, and like I won't get into it here. But, like you said, it, it is kind of, like, yeah, very hypocritical of Prime to, like, say, you know, what, after he is probably the one who sent them there, and, you know, say, like, you're part of the problem, even though you solved my problems, basically. Yeah, that that's the part of it that I, I have a tough time dealing with, you know, that, that it's, it's, they basically use and abuse seems to be the the notion of the day and and after that there there's very little consideration after you know you you use a person and and i i just find that like ridiculously unappealing especially in terms of something that you know conceivably you'd think oh yeah this is a one-shot story and it's about transformers and thus you know you may or may not find it an escape and appealing and, and a nice diversion from the the real life hustle and bustle of the real world. But this is, this is clearly not that. I mean, if anything, I would just say to people, you know, if, if this is something you're going to read, like it will not be a nice diversion or escape for you. It's going to be something that is, is to, in my mind, like tackles very, very heavy themes and provides you n no catharsis for those themes. I, I was kind of at this point, I did think like that an Autobot was responsible, but I thought like some like they were trying to he was trying to go for a like last minute swerve and say that maybe like I thought some of the clues were pointing towards Barricade being the killer at this point. Oh, okay. but yeah, just because I don't know, just he, he seemed a bit like too earnest and too, like, honest, and I was kind of like, oh, I wonder if he might be the killer, but, uh, yeah, it, some of the clues are pretty obvious at this point, but, um, as far as, uh, bookkeeping goes, uh, the, the four Autobot casualties, uh, the, I owned Scram, like, Scram was, like, one of the little G2 cars, like, I know, I know I owned him, and I, I thought that was kind of a shame, because he actually had, like, a small role in some of Simon Furman's stuff earlier, like, in IDW, so I was like, like oh. Was Diver killed because he was busy dating Japanese ladies, is that what that I, I guess about? so, yeah, yeah, so you've got, yeah, Lander and Diver, you know, like, the Japanese equivalents of Landmine and, uh, uh, what's-his-face, Waverider, and, uh, you know, 
I guess they're just like disposable nobodies in IDW, but uh, you know, you know what I did like to, to you know, of course, offer my my little snippets of positivity. I did like the moment after Prime sort of gives his little seal of approval to Barricade, or or at least at the very least, kind of says, "Keep doing what you're doing. We need people to do the things that you do." Um, there, there's this awkward moment where, you know, Starscream tries to sort of chum up to Slag and be like, geez, you, you, this guy was your leader for how many millions of years? And Slag is just basically like, don't fucking talk to me. Like, we're not buds. Yeah, we're not friends. You know, like, like like don't, don't don't try to get all chummy with me. Like, you know, it's like, you're, we're not, I'm not going to find common ground with you, you know, like regardless what, whatever you think, you know? So I thought that was kind of a cool moment. Yeah. And I will say that, like, I, I do enjoy the setup now that, like, Grimlock is separate from the other Dinobots. So, like, I feel like Slag and the others kind of get some time to, like, you know, themselves. Because, yeah, you know, yeah, that, for that's the last, nice... like, 30 years, it's been, like, Grimlock and his, you know, his boys, basically. But now it's kind of, like, I think the others are pretty well, like, distinct now. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the bits with, like, how when Prime landed in the first couple chapters that Sludge was kind of almost like, I, I don't want to denigrate him, but it was almost like uh, he was a a pet who was happy to see uh, an old there, There's that panel of, like, Optimus, yeah, petting his, like, long yeah, sauropod yeah. head. Yeah, yeah so. and, 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 and I, I do agree with you. I think, I think it is a nice after effect, whether it was intentional or otherwise, that you know, basically the other four Dinobots get a lot more character development now that they're out of the shadow of Grimlock. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I think that's pretty much all I wanted to say about Chapter 4, so let's wrap it up with the uh, fifth and final chapter. We've come a long way, baby! Titled Forever is a Long Time Coming, which is another classic G1 episode. Basically, uh, we're, we're back at that park where there was the the Optimus Prime statue, and it's been decapitated as Slag's kind of raging around about about Optimus, like accusing him last last time, and uh, the the Dinobot he, he's kind of like you know we're gonna go and find Optimus Prime, we're gonna kick his ass, and the Dinobots are kind of like uh, I don't know, like Swoop's kind of like I don't know if that's such a good idea, but you know they're they're all gun ho about it, but then the entire park explodes. Um, the, the there's a the park has like sort of like a dry dock or something that opens up and the Dinobots like fall through it, uh, which kind of like you know lets them escape the explosion. Um, and it it turned like through Optimus's narration, it turns out that it it was a trap that Optimus had set for the the actual killer. And he, he had used the dino, uh, his accusations of slag and the Dinobots like war crimes as like a, a feint to get the killer to reveal himself. Um, the Dinobots are rescued by Windblade and Starscream, and Optimus uh, is actually far away from the explosion because he, he is scouting around for the killer, and he finds the killer with a detonator in his hand because he just blew up the park, and it's Sandstorm. And uh, Sandstorm is uh, pretty, uh, he's, uh, if you hadn't figured it out, he's been pretty unstable this whole story. Optimus tells him to surrender, and Sandstorm whirls around and shoots Optimus in the gut with an Infernus bullet. 
and uh, like almost immediately sandstorm kind of turns on a dime and is kind of you know horrified at what he's done and uh in a pretty badass move optimus digs into his own gut and like pulls the bullet back out of him and uh you know we beat sandstorm down and sandstorm kind of explains that you know what he had seen during the war and when when he was behind enemy lines and stuff and he kind of reveals that everyone he's killed so far has been like you know the perpetrator of a horrendous like war crime or at least you know done something extremely awful and even the autobots he had killed had had like you know killed innocents and stuff and you know he, he's basically like been enacting like vigilante like justice for the, like you know what he had seen and you know, his conscience just couldn't handle it. He tries to escape, but Optimus catches him and, like, knocks him out. And, you know, he's arrested and the whole situation is basically over with. Optimus and Windblade, like, kind of mull around in the aftermath. And uh, basically Optimus had returned to Cybertron on the anniversary of him becoming Prime. And uh, he was going to, he brought the remaining half of the drained, like, Matrix with him, and he was going to bury it where he found it in the undergrid of Cybertron, uh, like, millions of years ago. Optimus kind of, like, you know, says to Windblade that he did kind of, like, like he said, he, he, Windblade assumes that he was lying about what he accused Slag and the others of, but Optimus kind of admits that he was kind of telling the truth and being honest with his feelings about it. You know, he just kind of does his usual closing line about, you know, blah, 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 must have faith in the future, blah, 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 the end. Yeah, so that's the conclusion of the story. So uh, what do you think, Derek? Well, I, I think I've made it pretty clear I didn't like <laughs> the story. I think that in terms of this being non-escapism, I, I think the intent is that Sandstorm is one of these supposed, um, I don't know if that's the right term or phrase, that, that Sandstorm is being portrayed as someone who has clearly gone insane. And I do not think that somebody who has necessarily seen such atrocities and goes after people he thinks have committed the atrocities is automatically insane. But I think what you're supposed to think of is a lot of these instances in modern day society where people are crazy. They don't take their fucking meds. They go ape shit and they shoot a bunch of people or knife a bunch of people or, you know, some crazy old man like runs everybody down the road because he doesn't fucking, he can't drive anymore. And he's a fucking old dude. And, you know, runs over half the fucking street before they stop him. And you say, hey, you know, maybe we should take this fucking guy's license away. You know, maybe that's an idea. But anyway, wh whatever the situation is, you think of all these real world incidents. And I think Sandstorm is supposed to be uh, an analogy for those incidents. But then, you know, I, I always I, I think because they make these things so gray, this is the one part that they've decided is black and white that Sandstorm is a bad person and Optimus Prime's a good person and that's the end of it. And and I think that's where this really, really, really falls flat because they've been doing this whole gray, moral, ambiguous, ambiguity, moral ambiguity 
type storyline. And, and at the end, they resort back to type where, you know, Sandstorm's a bad guy, Optimus Prime's a good guy, the end, let's wrap this shit up. And, and I think if this was Magneto and he was hunting down Nazis, everybody would be cheering for him. But in this case, Sandstorm is not Magneto. And he's a little bit like he's he's lost a couple screws in some cases. I, I think, you know, it, it's I, I understand that he's seen the reality of the world or the universe that he lives in. And I think seeing that for the first time and actually comprehending it has broken him, like literally broken his mind. And he just can't comprehend certain aspects of of the atrocities that have been perpetrated by both Autobot and Decepticon in the war and he somehow takes it upon himself because because he has he because he is mentally unstable he somehow thinks that if he goes out and kills all these people that had some part in an atrocity that somehow he's going to somehow make his mind more stable again that it's basically if he basically if he corrects the world then he won't feel like his head is broken anymore because he'll have quote unquote fixed it and you know that's somebody who's really kind of not all there and and i think part of that is kind of unfortunate because th that person is not necessarily evil as people would want to portray them as like, I mean, obviously what he does is not good, but conceivably like he's sick, he's sick in the head and he needs some fucking help, you know? And, and, and I think, I don't know, like they, they just seem to, I mean, I don't know if it comes up later because to be quite honest, I kind of got disgusted and stopped reading comics that were Transformers ongoing comics after this. So I don't know if they, they try to follow up on Sandstorm, if they try to help him, if they try to, you know, put him on trial or something and execute him or, you know, whatever the, the next result of his actions where, where those lead him. But I, I think that, you could look at this from different perspectives and angles, but I think there's a refusal to do so. And, and that is kind of weird because it seems like everything else in this story up to this point seemed to be a venue to elicit sympathy for people who are supposedly bad. And if you wanted to distill it down to Sandstorm is bad and everybody else is good or whatever, like, you know, quote unquote, you know, I, I find it fascinating that, you know, yes, they they delve into that. He saw certain Autobots commit the same atrocities that he saw Decepticons committing. But I think. I, I don't know, I don't I don't see it as an excuse for snapping you know, like, I don't, I don't think that forgives what he's doing. Like, I mean, he clearly snapped and he's not really all there. I mean, I mean, and that, that was kind of my final take from, from the whole story. And, and I think, I think the fact that like prime sort of says like, you know, the, the fact that prime, I don't know, it feels like a lot of this is like passing the buck, you know, like, like if, if he legitimately thinks that like slag and his team are part of the problem because of their attitudes. Like I would turn that back on him and go, well, what about your attitude, bro? 
You know, like, I mean, you sent all these guys into combat. I mean, if anybody's responsible for all the deaths, hey, look in a fucking mirror, asshole. You're the one who sent Sandstorm out there, right? You were his commanding officer. I mean, most people that are actually, you know, commanders-in-chief of the Autobots or whatever, you know, or, or whatever, whatever real-world analogy you want to draw parallels to, you know, like, they, they conceivably should take responsibility for those actions, right? I mean, most people scream bloody murder about, you know, people taking responsibility for their actions. And in this case, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, well, he's not really in charge anymore, so I guess it doesn't matter. You know, and and it's kind of like, I, I don't know, like I, I, I would sort of turn that blame back on Optimus, if anything else, you know, and, and kind of hold him accountable for some of these things, because clearly it wasn't, you know, I, I mean, it, you know, it's all well and good to blame things on the four million year old or four billion year old war. But if, if they are indeed trying to have this peacetime society and move on with their lives post-war. I mean, you know, you can't just pretend the war didn't happen and that it didn't have consequences and that you weren't responsible for some of those things. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just, it, it, it sort of was not think... to me like very, you know, there, 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 there is no catharsis in it and, and it's not, it's not a, it, it, yeah. it, kind of like what we've been saying. It's it's a heavy story, and it doesn't provide you any answers to any of the questions it asks, and it doesn't really hold anybody accountable other than, you know, like pointing a finger at one culprit. But it's like it, it, Sandstorm seems to be, in this case, a scapegoat for the actual problems within the Cybertronian society itself, you know? And it's like, well, you, you have to sort of solve the problems and not just point a finger at the incidents, I guess, is, is all I'd say is my, my final yeah. word. I, I think it might have held together. The ending would have held together a little stronger if, if Sandstorm was more in his right mind. Because I feel like, you know, even the title of this story, like Punishment, like I feel like Sandstorm was kind of like a Punisher type character. But, like, you know, when Optimus confronts him, he turns on a dime and fires on him, basically. And even though he's, like, immediately regretful of it, it's kind of like, you know, that's not the action of someone who's, like, completely in control of their own actions. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the moment where you see he's he's kind of lost it. I mean, it, it doesn't it didn't matter. He was he was acting not on logic, not just saying, look, this guy is a bad person. He committed a war atrocity. I'm going to execute him for his crimes. And he was completely uninvolved emotionally. No, he's clearly very, very involved emotionally because he's unstable. He, he he decides to do these things at the drop of a hat. I think if he was in his right mind, he would have never fallen for Optimus Prime's little trap. I think he would have known and, and stayed the hell away from it and, and laid low and then just kept doing what he wanted to do somewhere else and waited for Prime to fucking go back to Earth or some shit, you know? But in this case, it, it just seemed to be some kind of sticking point where he, he probably was so unstable he wanted to get caught. He probably... I mean, that's the thing about somebody who, who gets all kind of weirded out like that where where he's he's clearly emotionally unstable and and he probably as much as he thinks people deserve punishment 
for their actions. I think the person he hates the most is probably himself. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and I mean, if anything, that's like you either view it as a as a cry for help or, or that he's kind of borderline suicidal, you know, like that he keeps doing this in the hopes that somebody's going to do the same thing to him eventually. And, you know, of course, Prime doesn't. And, you know, who knows that? I guess I don't know. The cycle continues. I mean, you know, that, that's why there's this <laughs> the bullet there at the end. I don't know. I don't know. In, in whatever case, yeah, like the Sandstorm has only shown up as a cameo after this story oh in one of starscream's like little secret prison like under metroplex or whatever so but uh i i was gonna just say like as a as a point of like you know i thought it was pretty badass like i thought optimus like digging the bullet out of his own gut was a pretty like badass scene like that that was a like you know this bullet that like killed everyone that it hit so far like optimus just reaches into his own gut and like yanks it out i was like ah that's a that's a pretty badass moment, but uh, I was like, "Lucky he has that main character Ibis exactly that he, can, yeah. that he can do that." Like, yeah, you know. but no, I I agree with you. Like, I enjoyed reading this story, but I do have like the ending. I was kind of like, "Oh, it kind of falls apart at the end." Like, I, I thought, you know, if if Sand, it, like, it's just, like I feel like the motivation of he's just crazy is a pretty weak motivation basically. So whenever it pops up, like in any kind of story. So whenever that turns out to be the case, like, I'm kind of like, Oh, that kind of like, bleh. but you know, they, I, they, they also kind of sidestep the issue where I, I think you see some of the things that broke him, which one of the specific things was, Oh, well, you know, the, the, the council ordered certain injustices to be leveled against other like non-cybertronian races and things like that and then you know of course sandstorm questions like well does that mean prime knew about these things the whole time and and prime like totally like fucking does a little fucking dance move you know like he just does a michael jackson like hee hee and fucking never actually outright <laughs> answers the question and to me i'm like wow that's that's really, you know, to, to me, it, it, I mean, if you really wanted to have the moral high ground, you would have just had him straight up say, no, I knew nothing about this shit. That sounds terrible. Now I'm going to punch you in the face and that doesn't excuse what you're doing. I mean, if you really wanted to have him be all Mr. Prime and get all morally indignant. But in this case, I mean, the way I read that is silence is consent and he consented and he's just as much a problem as you know, basically like him telling the Dinobots they need to be exterminated for the society to keep going. I think he needs to level that again at a mirror at himself because clearly he was also like, and and that's kind of the, the, the inherent problem I see with a lot of these series, like autocracy. I mean, it really makes the, the corruption in the Autobots you know, basically trying to make these real world parallels, you know, all you see is, you know, the corruption of humanity, you know, because that that's who we're, you know, using to personify these robotic characters. And, and all you see is the corruption and, and you can't really get past that. And if, if the end of the day, your story is people are corrupt. Well, you know what? No, duh, Sherlock. Like, no shit. Like, I, I kind of knew that already, you know? Like, and, I, yeah, I mean, that I, I guess that's all I, that's all I have to say about punishment. Yeah. 
I thought it would be an interesting, you know, I, I knew it would elicit like, you know, a lot of that type of discussion, like the, what do you call it, from you and like, you know, from me, basically. So that's, that's <laughs> why I, I, basically that's I that's why I, I baited you. Yeah. So no, but, no, that's uh, fine. That's I, fine. I enjoy I'm hearing good. your thoughts on stuff like this. And yeah, like yeah. I, I, I honestly enjoyed reading this because I, I like John Barber's writing. I think he's very continuity minded and he's very like he writes similarly to like what I would write like. But I do agree that, like, you know, some of when he gets too, like, yeah, political and when he tries to echo, like, you know, real world events, it kind of that does take me out of it. Um, I was going to say, like, maybe eventually we can talk about Redemption, which is like the, the sequel to this story. And it's it's uh, I, I, I thought you might get a better kick out of that one just because Slag is the main character in that. OK, one. so yeah, sure. Yeah, but sure. but uh, yeah, so that's that's transformers punishment and uh it's it's available as a one shot like I, I, you can just get it on comiXology or any kind of digital like format now nowadays but i don't actually think they've collected it in trade or anything so that might be a that that that's always like a sticking point with me when where these like annuals or one shots don't get collected anywhere but like I don't know, maybe they'll do one when there's more than one out. Maybe they'll collect them all in a trade, like somewhere down the line. But um, I think that's about it. Uh, Derek, you want to give the usual like spiel about where you can find us and whatnot? Sure, sure. If you have any comments, questions, and/or concerns, if you want to tell me I'm a duty head for all my loudmouthed opinions on Transformers Punishment, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We, of course, were on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. And in addition to Transformers Tuesdays, we have tons and tons of spinoff shows and our proper Fanholes podcast show for you guys to check out. There's Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays and Mobile Suit Mondays. We are on Stitcher Radio where you can stream our episodes. We're on iTunes, so feel free to leave some feedback on iTunes if you've enjoyed this discussion on Transformers Punishment. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, all kinds of social medias. We appreciate all the likes, feedback, and emails that we get, so please send those in. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike, and, uh, you know, make sure you don't commit any war crimes or anything, because, yeah. Because that dirty, hippie sandstorm is yeah, going to exactly. come with, like, a squadron of hot paradron medics to fuck your shit up, I guess. <laughs> Once his planet blows up, like Rodimus will mock him for it. So. <laughs> In fact, I, I bet, like you hey, know, they, they should do they should do like a, a third a third one shot where he he hunts down and tries to go after Rodimus, and then we can have Rodimus like kick <laughs> or his. I, I was I was gonna suggest like an an episode of more than or an issue of more than meets the eye, like Rodimus returns and like just like visits Sandstorm in prison and mocks him for it basically. But nice. <laughs> ha ha, you have a mental disorder, you know. He's like, ha ha, you're never going to get a masterpiece. <laughs>